0: Well, good morning, LifePoint. So great to be with you. Uh, my name is Corey, and I get to serve as the, the teaching pastor here at our, our Plain City campus. And um, great to be back with you today. Uh, I trust um, last week you were in good hands with, with Pastor Cale, a uh, godly man, very gifted uh, teacher. Uh, so it uh, doesn't happen often. But uh, a couple times a year, uh, all the teaching pastors get to, um, get to kind of rotate our campuses and, and go teach at other campuses. And uh, this was my first time doing that, so I got the privilege of being out at, at Lewis Center. And it was just a great reminder, I think, for me and hopefully for us that we are part of something Bigger, that we're experiencing God's activity here in, in Plain City, but God is doing something much bigger and much more through our church than just here in, in, in Plain City. And um, if you're new and you're wondering, like, why is he saying that? Well, we are one church spread across, across five different campuses. And uh, if, if you're visiting with us today or, or relatively new, so glad that, that you're here. Um, we are a church that wants to draw life from God and point others to, to him. And so if you're new, we hope you see that. We hope you experience that as you you sit with us uh, today. I want to ask you a special favor if if you're our guest today. Go ahead and grab your phone, open up your web browser, and go ahead and head to lpguest.com. That's lpguest.com. Or you can take your phone and scan that QR code on the back of the chair in front of you. That's going to take you to a handful of helpful resources. It will take you to message notes for this morning, a spot where you can see the scripture, some of the key points, and a place for you to take your own notes. It will also take you to a digital guest card that will just uh, allow you to let us know that you visited with us today. It takes less than 60 seconds to fill out. At the bottom of that digital guest card are five ministries that we're already partnered with. You can pick the one that means most to you, and we'll make an additional $5 donation in your online honor. That way you can do something good and and kind this Christmas season just for, for visiting with us today. Well, we are in our Christmas series called Uncommon Crown, and we are discussing how God revealed his king, Jesus, to the world. How God chose to personally break into human history as ben just kind of talked about there in philippians 2 how god chose to break into human history through jesus an atypical king who wore an uncommon crown and and our big idea for for this series is that jesus came into to the world he came to the earth to establish his kingdom in our hearts But as you know, just like I do, Jesus gets probably more attention from the world during the Christmas season than any other time of of the year. But although it's kind of his time of the year, he gets lost in the shuffle of things. He gets lost in the shuffle of buying Christmas presents and the lights and the hot chocolate and the I'm dreaming of a white Christmas and National Lampoon's Christmas vacation, Right? I'm just seeing who the rebels are out there. All right, that's the only reason I threw that one out. Okay, so uh, but Jesus, the one who came to establish His kingdom in our hearts and and lives, just kind of gets blended into the background, the wrapping paper, the wallpaper of, of Christmas, if you will. When a couple weeks we kicked off this, a couple weeks ago we kicked off this series in the Old Testament. We were back in the Book of Isaiah and how Isaiah spoke of Jesus, the coming King who would have the government upon his shoulders. He would be wonderful counselor. He would be called mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And and last week, we looked at the coming king's genealogy, the line to the the throne that he had. And today, we're gonna look at how the birth of this king, King Jesus, causes a clash of kingdoms. Now, the longer you live, the more things in life we encounter that kind of clash, right? So um, some slides for us today, right? Some things, music, right? Music clashes, rock, rap, country, right? Like now, although some folks are mixing those things today, and if that's your thing, great, go for it, right? For me, I grew up with my parents. Uh, They loved classic rock so we would sit down and my dad would put on a record some of you young people have no idea what that is right and we would sit and listen to classic rock together in my teen years i went down this road of listening to rap for a little bit my parents hated that right and then i eventually kind of came back to rock and today really it's just christian music for me um clothing styles clash right if you've been around long enough you know this is the 80s y'all okay this this was the 80s, I always tell my kids, I lived through the 80s, so you don't have to, right? That's how it works, so, so depending on where you live in the country, there, there's there's some other clashes going on. Sometimes there's clash between sports teams, maybe clashes between, I don't know, these guys, you recognize these guys up here next, right? Clash of sports teams, yes, all right, it's there, right? So. Um, There's clashes all around us. We encounter that the older we get. Uh, And the same could be said for us, right? We all have preferences. All of us have a way of of doing things, a particular way of thinking, a particular way of going about life or approaching life. And when something or someone comes along and disrupts our way of doing things, there's a clash that, that happens. And today, as we continue to look at the Christmas story and the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, God's chosen one, the king, we're going to see today that a a clash occurs that impacts you and I today. So, before we jump into the scripture here, here's what I want to do. I want to pray one more time for us as we get ready to look at at God's word this morning. So, would you bow your heads and pray with me? (laughs) Heavenly Father, as we open up your word this morning... And maybe for some of us, look at familiar scripture. Lord, I pray today that we wouldn't just go through the routine, that we wouldn't just go through the motions, but Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be open today. And Lord, that through your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us today. Through your word, you would speak to us today. Lord, I pray that no one would see me up here, that I would just kind of be a vessel and a, a conduit for what you want to say today and may it all be based on, on your word and your word alone. So God, meet with us in a special way and move us in, in just various areas of our life how you want to move us and how you see fit. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to invite you, if you have your Bible or your Bible app, to go ahead and and find Matthew chapter 2 with me. Matthew chapter 2. As you're making your way to Matthew chapter 2 this morning, I want to let you know my goal today is simple. I want to keep things really practical and really relevant for us today. And I say that because... If you were to dive in and study these, these few verses we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 2 today, they're actually unbelievably rich. There's so many ties back to the Old Testament. And so But I want, I want to keep it kind of right down the middle of the plate for us today so we can all walk away with something today. And so there's two things we're going to look at this morning. We're going to let the cat out of the bag right away, right? We're going to look at this clash of kingdoms like we've, t- we've been talking about but we're also going to look at worship. Those are the only two things we're going to look at, and it seems like an odd pairing, but we're going to see how they reveal themselves in Matthew's account of the Christmas story here today. And as we get ready to look at Matthew chapter 2, chapter 1 has just closed with the birth of Jesus Christ. Verse 18 in in chapter 1 says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. And Matthew goes on to give us the story of Jesus' birth through the eyes of Joseph. The Gospel of Luke kind of gives us the, the, the birth of Jesus through the eyes of Mary. Here Matthew gives it to it to us through Joseph's eyes. And Matthew tells the, the story, right, of Jesus' birth and how Joseph and and Mary were engaged. Mary was found pregnant. This surprised Joseph since they they hadn't been together, but Joseph is visited by an angel and the angel lets Joseph know like, "Hey, Mary is is miraculously pregnant by the Holy Spirit." And he tells Joseph not to be afraid to take Mary as his as his wife that they will have a son. And that they should call his name Jesus, and that he will save mankind from sin. Joseph obeys and, and listens to the angel, and, and Jesus is born. And as we move into chapter 2, we read, beginning in verse 1, this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise man from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where this Christ was to be born. Now, Matthew here tells us that Jesus was born, he says, in the days of Herod the king. A couple things uh, that we need to know about Herod that are relevant for us today. Herod was not his name, it was his title. Herod was actually placed as king by the Romans. And Herod carried out all of Rome's wishes over the Jewish people. The Roman Senate gave Herod a very interesting title that should ring a bell for all of us. The, the Roman Senate gave Herod the title, King of the Jews. And this pleased Herod very much. Now here's the deal. Since Herod was placed, this was the deal. He really didn't come from the, the rightful line of 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 King David. He was just placed there. Therefore, the Jewish people, since he didn't come from that rightful line of King David, since he he was placed there, the, the Jewish people never really accepted Herod as one of their own. And what Herod tried to do then, he tried to bribe the Jewish people. And he tried to bribe the Jewish people through extravagant building projects that he would do for them. But they never truly accepted him. And this lack of acceptance, it made Herod paranoid. It made him insecure, it made him fearful, so fearful that Herod would do anything to protect his reign as king. And in doing so, he was, he was ruthless. History tells us of, of Herod that one time he killed 46 members of the Sanhedrin. That's the Hebrew religious council, right, religious leaders, because he didn't like a decision that he made. Killed 46 of them. He killed his mother-in-law, right? There's 20 jokes there, and I'm not even going there, y'all, all right? It's Christmas season, right? So he also had 10 wives. One of these 10 wives, he murdered her along with her two sons because he considered them potential rivals to the throne who had a legitimate claim because it was possible they did have the rightful lineage to the throne. Augustus Caesar has been reported of saying this of Herod, it's better to be Herod's dog than one of his children. This is who was sitting on the throne when Jesus was born. This is who the king of the Jewish people were at Jesus' birth. And out of nowhere we read here in Matthew chapter 2 that the wise men come from the east and they walk right into Herod's town, they walk right into Herod's jurisdiction, they walk right into Herod's very presence, and they ask, hey, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Right? Are you kidding me? This was the absolute worst thing you could have said to a guy like Herod. These wise men had no idea who they were talking to. They they amazingly made it out of this conversation alive. And when you think about it, you're like, not wise at all, guys. You shouldn't have just didn't open, don't open your mouths at all. And kind of while we're on this topic of of the wise men, a little bit of Christmas myth busting for you today. The Bible does not say that there were three wise men, okay? Most historians believe there was a great entourage or company of wise men that came. They did not come, MythBusters here, they did not come the night of Jesus' birth. They most likely came several months later. These wise men were not kings at all. They were scholars who studied the stars. They were astronomers. This explains then why they would say, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This would also have fulfilled Old Testament prophecy from the book of Numbers that says I see him but not now I behold him but not near a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel now let's just take a moment and wrap our heads around all that's happening here don't forget who Herod is don't forget how ruthless he is and how he wants to protect his kingdom right and this, this great company of wise men show up. They would have brought a caravan. It was like a bunch of VIPs just rolling in and celebrities showing up. And they, they walk in and, and meet with Herod. And they say to insecure, paranoid Herod, hey, where's this, where's this king of the Jews? They say that to the self-proclaimed king of the Jews, Herod himself. This would have quickly gotten Herod's attention. They would have been on his radar really quick. He would have been thinking, hey, that's my title and someone else is trying to take it. Hey, someone else is coming for my throne. Someone is coming for my rule, and someone is coming for my kingdom. Hearing the king of the Jews was born would have arrested Herod's attention uh, immediately. And, And so this is a great reminder, I think, the wise men's statement that the king of the Jews was born, that Jesus was born a king, right? He didn't grow into being a king he didn't have to be a prince first and then become a king he was born not just a king but the king it's just another example of jesus wearing this uncommon crown and being this atypical king and with all of this going on not to our surprise we read in in verse three when herod the king heard this he was troubled and all jerusalem with him this word troubled here it means agitated it means stirred up, shaken up, or stressed out. Herod was shaken. And whenever Herod was shaken and, and Herod was stressed out, well, everyone stressed out, right? Because when, when Herod sensed there was a threat to his throne or, or he suspected somebody was trying to take his power from him, he would literally have people killed. He started having people killed. Heads would literally roll. So no wonder that, that Matthew, in, in chapter 3, he tells us here that, All Jerusalem was stressed out. If Herod's stressed, everybody's stressed. And so based on this news from the wise men, Herod then begins to plot. And he begins to scheme how to protect his personal kingdom. In in verse 4, Herod assembles all of the chief priests and the scribes. And he asks them, hey, where is this Christ to be born? And the chief priests and the scribes, they, they know the answer. Because they knew the Old Testament prophecy of Micah, chapter 5 and and verse 2. And they quote it back to Herod. That's what we read in in verse 5. It's not going to be on the screen, but the, the, the chief priest and the scribe said this, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. From this passage in Micah, they understood not only that the Messiah, the king, was to be born in Bethlehem, but they also understood that he would be the ruler over God's people. He would be the shepherd over Israel. Again, this would have raised Herod's attention and paranoia even more. So what does Herod do? In verse 7, we see that Herod brings the wise men back into his, his presence. And he secretly gets more information from them. And he tasks them with finding this child. And he lies to them. He tells them, hey, I'm going to go worship with you. So when you, when you figure out where he is, come back and tell me. But truly, Herod wants to, to kill the child, to annihilate the threat to his throne. Later in Matthew, it tells us that, that Herod actually kills all of the males two years and under. Right? We all know about the Grinch who stole Christmas. Well, here Herod is the man who literally tried to stop the first Christmas and stop it forever. I love what Charles Spurgeon says about all that's taking place in Matthew here. He says this, he says, A stir begins as soon as Jesus is born. Jesus has not spoken a word. Jesus has not performed a single miracle. Jesus has not proclaimed a single piece of doctrine. Spurgeon goes on to say, At the very birth of Jesus when there's nothing but infant cries, and we see nothing but infant weakness, as a baby in a manger, Jesus' influence upon the world instantly makes an impact. And this is where I want to bring it back to us today, to make it practical and relevant for you and I today, to make sure the, the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, isn't just some background noise during this Christmas season. Here in these verses of of Matthew with the birth of of Jesus and Herod's reaction, it's a clear reminder that brings us to our first point, and it's this. That Christmas, Christmas ushers in a clash of kingdoms. Christmas ushers in the birth of Jesus into the world, ushers in this clash of kingdoms for you and for me and and for the whole world. Because Jesus' entrance into the world means this. He entered in as a king and he immediately separates And he immediately distinguishes between, and he immediately ushers in a divide between two kingdoms in our lives. A heavenly kingdom and an earthly kingdom. A kingdom where Jesus rules and reigns versus a kingdom where we try to rule and and reign. And we see these kingdoms clashing here in the life of, of Herod. But if we take a close enough look at our own lives, an honest enough look at our own lives, there's a clash of kingdoms with us too. You see, there's a lot of people out there like like Herod today. People who set up their own personal kingdoms and seek to to rule over them. They seek to do everything in their entire life their own way. They're in charge. No one can tell them what to do at all. They are in the driver's seat. Their hands are firmly on the wheel. They are the ones calling the shot in every area of their life. And they're not going around killing people like, like Herod did. But the thought of Jesus being king over any area of their life, well, it's just like Herod. They see Jesus as a threat to their throne, a threat to their title, a threat to their rule, a threat to their kingdom in their lives. Jesus clashes with the kingdoms of our lives at times. And folks that, that kind of view him like that, they don't want Jesus to sit on the throne of their life. So they keep Jesus out of their life altogether. All and they make sure he doesn't disrupt any of the kingdoms of their life. For others out there, there's a clash between kingdoms in our lives It's kind of like the, the chief priests and the scribes we, we read about here. Herod called them in to ask, hey, where is the Christ going to be born? They knew the scriptures. They obeyed God. They were going to synagogue or a church. They believed in the coming Messiah, but I'm not sure if you picked up on this as we read through the story. They made no effort They made no intention to go see the Messiah. They made no effort to go see the king. They made no effort to go see the promised one. I mean, think about that for a moment. They were several miles. Some scholars believe they were less than five miles away from the son of God, and they didn't go see him. They had all of the right information, but they were personally uninterested to go meet the Messiah for themselves. They were in close proximity. They chose to keep God kind of close in in some areas of their lives, but at a distance here with Jesus. And we can have a tendency to do the same, right? This is the battle between religion and relationship with Jesus in our lives that we can section off personal kingdoms in our lives. Hey, I've got a spot for God and a spot for church and a spot for, for serving and maybe a spot for reading my Bible. But hey, there's these other sections of my lives, these other kingdoms in my lives. Maybe it's my career or my lifestyle or my future plans or my kids or my finances or whatever it might be. And they're okay with Jesus in certain areas as long as he stays out or doesn't interfere with other areas of their personal kingdom. It's keeping Jesus close and keeping him at a distance at the same time. It's going to Jesus in certain areas, but keeping him out of other areas. And that approach to Jesus in our lives will do the same thing it did for the priests and the scribes here. It means they're going to miss what they've been searching for all their lives. I mean, think about it. These religious leaders had been waiting for the Messiah, searching the scriptures, waiting for prophecy to come through, and he's right there and they missed it. When we try to hold stuff back, man, we we miss what Jesus wants to do in our lives too. And let's just be real with each other, right? This clash of of kingdoms, I believe it's a reality for each one of us. It's a battle for each one of us. It's a struggle for each one of us, even if you're a Christian. But part of our gospel identity, that's one of our five core values here at LifePoint. Part of our gospel identity in Christ is that Jesus is near to us that he's involved in every area of our, of our lives, that he came to redeem all of who we are, not just certain parts of who we are. And I, this is kind of how this is shaken out in my life, if I can just be transparent with you here today. There's a clash of kingdoms going on in my life, Right? probably in more areas than I'd like to admit, but one certain area right now is this. Both of my boys, I got a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old, middle school, high school, they are playing basketball right now for for school, and it's great. We love watching them uh, play basketball, but our schedules are all over the place we are running like mad people, right? Like it's just nuts. From 7.30 in the morning to like 9, 9.30 at the night, we're, we're just going, right? And, and we're not unique. So many of you are doing that. So many of your parents are doing that. Kids love your parents if they're driving around that way and chipping for gas money, all right? So we're not unique in that fashion at all. I'm not special in, in that way at all. But I'll tell you what, here's how I've been approaching this schedule lately. I've been kicking and screaming through this schedule like a little five-year-old with a temper tantrum, if I can be honest with you, right? And here's what God's done as I've been praying about this. He's been revealing to me, Corey, this is a kingdom in your life. You say, how so? Well, he's revealed to me that I like ruling over my time. I like being in charge, the king of my schedule. I like dictating what my family's evening looks like, and I like controlling when we come and go. And I've been trying to keep that little kingdom all to myself rather than invite God into that. And guess what? When that kingdom gets disrupted, I'm shaken. When that kingdom gets disrupted, I'm stressed. And you know what the result is? All of the Decaro household is stressed, just like all of Jerusalem was distressed, right? It's a clash of kingdoms in my life right now. But God is teaching me. He's convicting me. He's saying, Corey, get off the throne, relinquish being king over this season and this area of your life. Give me control, God, that I need to surrender that area to him, that he's gonna give us some divine appointments, orchestrate some relationships that we may not have otherwise had, and we're gonna blink. And as Pastor Matt and I were talking about this week, he's like, Corey, I've been there. That season of your life for your kids is gonna be over and you're gonna want it back and you're gonna miss it. And so I'm learning that God's got something bigger and better and more beautiful for this season of life than I could ever accomplish on my own than sitting on the throne of that kingdom of my life. That I don't need to keep him at a distance. Instead, I need to invite him in and give him control. And here's the deal. Wherever you sit today, I believe these moments and these seasons and these areas of our lives, these kingdoms, right, especially if you're a Christian, they speak to the truth of what the Bible already says tells us, right that there's going to be this clash of kingdoms and this battle between the worldly and the heavenly, between the flesh and the spirit, like it, it says in Galatians, between treasures on earth and treasures in, in heaven and through our will and God's will, that those are going to clash, and they're going to clash. because here's the deal: when Jesus and the gospel intervenes into our life, there's truths that now clash with every area of our lives that show us Jesus needs to be the king and in control and not us. And at Christmas time, maybe more than any other time of the year, I think our personal kingdoms come into clear view. Our wants, our desires, our preferences, they clearly reveal themselves. It might be presents, it might be our kids, it might be traditions, it might be your schedule. We want our kingdoms and we want to rule and reign as we see fit. But we have to remember that Jesus came to set up his kingdom in our hearts. Which begs the question, what do we do about this? How do we battle for this? How do we get through this? Well, quickly, one particular thing that stood out as I read through this Christmas account in Matthew um, is what I want to share with you today. Go back to verse 2 with me, if you will. It says this. This is the wise men, and they say, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Drop down to verse 9 with me. After listening to the king, they, the wise men, went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Verse 10 says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What we see in Matthew 2 here is this, Herod clashes, the wise men worship. Verse 2 said they've come to worship him. Verse 11 says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And verse 11 says they fell down and worshiped him. The response of the wise men brings us to our second practical point today. That in this clash of kingdoms, we can find victory when we worship the one who is worthy. When we worship the one who is worthy. That this clash of kingdoms will be a constant battle in our lives until Jesus comes again or takes us home. But worship helps us focus on Jesus. It helps us focus on what he's done for us, and it helps us focus on service for him. Is worship the only thing that helps us? No, we have the scriptures and prayer and God's word and fellowship and so much more. But in this scripture here, worship is what we see from, from the wise men. It centers them on the rightful king, instead of themselves. It sets their eyes on the heavenly instead of, the, instead of the, the earthly, right? The worship, their worship here aligns their hearts with Jesus instead of their own desires and their own hearts. The wise men worship brings them, invites Jesus close to them rather than keeping him at a distance. And you might be thinking, I don't even know what worship is. What does it mean when you say worship? Well, we get our modern English word worship from the old English word worth-ship, It's giving our attention. Worship is giving our attention, our focus, our heart, our life to that which we deem is worthy. And make no mistake today, all of us worship something or someone. And everyone worships at Christmas. They may not be worshiping Jesus, but everyone worships at Christmas. There's no exceptions to this at all. Christians worship, atheists worship, skeptics worship, people in the city, the country worship, young and old worship Some worship material things. Some worship their their bodies, their careers, their families. But everyone worships something or someone. But just like Herod, and just like the wise men for you and I today, worship is a choice. It's a choice. You and I have a choice on who and what we worship. And I know it's a battle. And I know it's a struggle. And I know it's a clash in our lives. But it's a challenge for those of us who belong to the kingdom of God to live a life that reflects our citizenship in heaven. And at the end of the day, all of our our stuff, all of our things, the money, the houses, our job titles, the things that this world says important, even our own very lives on this earth is not worthy of our worship because it will all pass, it will all fade. So as you sit here today and we wrap up in just a moment, Who or what are you worshiping in your life? Who do your kids and your grandkids see you worshiping? Who or what does your spouse see you worshiping? Who do your coworkers or your neighbors or your extended family see you worshiping? How is God speaking to you right now in this moment? What kingdoms are clashing in your life today? Because any God, small g, of our own making, any God of our own making is not worthy of our praise and worship. But the one true God who came in the person of Jesus Christ is worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise. And when we give him our worship, something beautiful takes place. When we worship Jesus, just like the wise men do, you know what's gonna happen? We're gonna do the same thing they did. We begin to lay down our treasure's at the king's feet one after the other after the other and worshiping jesus moves us to a place that says jesus take all that i have and jesus you rule you reign you govern jesus you lead you drive jesus you're in control Worship says, I'm laying down all of my successes, all of my failures, all of my imperfections, all of my emotions and my doubts and my anxieties and my material things. I'm laying down my life and my heart to you. And worship says, Jesus, go set up your kingdom there. Worship says, Jesus, set up your kingdom over all of it. And here's my prayer for us today. I pray for some of us that this clash of kingdoms in our lives comes to an end this Christmas season through our worship for King Jesus. And as we do so, may the one that we worship, Jesus, be evident and seen by all those around us. Would you bow our heads? Let's pray together as we close. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time together. And Lord, I do pray that our hearts and our minds and our lives would be open to what you're teaching us today. And Jesus, you, you were born, you died, and you rose from the grave so that anyone who calls on you could come into a relationship with you, could be saved, could be forgiven of their sins, could become an adopted son or daughter of God. And I want to let you know, if you're sitting here today and you've been trying to run your life, you've been trying to be in charge of everything, and it's just not working, and run to Jesus, run to the King, run to the one who can give you peace, who can give you forgiveness, who can give you a new heart, who can give you a new life, can forgive you of your sins and who will rule and reign in the affairs of your life better than you ever could on your best day. All you have to do right now is ask him, invite him in. Just say, Jesus, I'm done trying on my own. Forgive me of my sin. I believe in you. I believe that you came and you died and you rose again and I'm asking you to come into my life to be the king, be in charge. I want to follow you. I'm done trying on my own. I'm surrendering. You can do that today and he will come into your life. He will forgive you of your sins right now where you're at. And Lord, as we, we wrap up this morning, reveal to us. Reveal to us the kingdoms in our lives that we're holding on to and we will not relinquish. Lord, may we lay those down at your feet. May we do so through worship and trusting you. Lord, as we sing to you now as we close, you, the King, the one who is worthy of our our praise, who's done the things that no one else could do, may we lift our voices, may we lift our lives and praise you, love you like no one and nothing else in our lives. It's in Jesus' name.